at Authentic Life Church, we believe that Easter, Easter Sunday, is really the Super Bowl of Christianity. Right? It's the best day ever. In fact, it's the best day in all of history. The resurrection of Jesus as a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, to believe in that is not optional. It's not optional to believe or to not believe. We have to believe uh, that Jesus rose again. It's necessary. Jesus Christ, He came, He lived, He exampled, He taught, He loved, He died on the cross, He was buried, and then just as He said He would, Jesus rose again. And so today, it's an honor to be with you here today, to worship with you, to celebrate Easter Sunday and resurrection of Jesus Christ with you. If you're our guest, welcome. Right? Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, let me just challenge you this morning. Uh, Easter is one of those um, Sundays where people that don't normally go come to church, and we celebrate that, and we're glad that you have chosen to, to be here and worship with us. My challenge to you is come two more weeks and see what God does in your life. Amen? Amen. Two more weeks. We are honored that you are here with us today. Our hope this morning for all of us is this. That as we sing, as we spend time in prayer, as we open up God's word together, that we would make much of Jesus and not ourselves. It's not about authentic life. It's not about Pastor Jeff. It's not about anybody. It's about Jesus. And so we want to bring him glory today. We want to rejoice that we serve a Savior that is risen. And we want to walk away knowing something this morning, that Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. And on Easter, we celebrate the, re- the resurrection of Jesus. But before the resurrection happened, other things happened. Before we get to the point of Jesus' resurrection, before he rose again, a lot of things happened. If you have your Bible, open it up with me to Matthew chapter uh, 27. Matthew chapter 27, so use your table of contents if you need that. But the Bible's broken out into two different sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 27. If you, anybody else need a Bible? Anybody else need a Bible? We've got some floating around here. So if you need one, let us know. And by, the, by all means, take those, take those with you. In his life, just a week ago, what did we celebrate last Sunday? Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. And so we celebrated Jesus riding in on, on Palm Sunday and he began to live his last week on earth. And during that time, he had the first Lord's Supper or the communion with his disciples Judas trusted Satan and disappeared to go and betray Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples made their way to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane so they could pray. And soon after that, Jesus was arrested. Many of his followers and disciples, people that had walked with him and and, and praised him and, and had served with him, they scattered in fear for their own life. Peter, one of his closest Just as Jesus had said, he said, you're going to deny me three times. And what did Peter do? He denied him three times. And Jesus is led away. He's being taken away to what is really a false trial. Jesus is falsely accused. The Bible tells us that during this time, nobody found fault in Jesus, yet the trial continued. We even read of of, of the chief priests and the elders, those that are supposed to be religious leaders and know who Jesus is, right? They're knowing that Jesus had done nothing wrong. They cried out for Jesus to suffer and die a criminal's death. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And the governor, a, a man named Pilate, was standing there with a man named Jesus, God in the flesh that had done nothing wrong, but he's also faced with an angry, an angry mob 
that was calling for Jesus to be crucified. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 24, after Pilate had made some attempts to convince the people that Jesus was innocent, we read this, When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Now we know know he was just as guilty as the rest of us, but it says, See to that yourselves. Verse 25, and all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Now before we go further, when we read these things, when we know that he's going through this trial, when we hear of, of him being scourged, we'll talk about that. When we hear of his death, we'll talk more about that. We can ask that question, why is this happening? We have to know why this is happening. Why is Jesus the only one that has never done anything wrong, has no sin in his life? Why is this happening to him? Why was he betrayed by somebody that spent years with him and served with him? Why is he going to, or why is he enduring these trials and being falsely accused? Why is he going to suffer? Why is he about to die on the cross and be crucified? We can really answer that question with the same answer that we give to this question. Why did Jesus come in the first place? Right? Why did Jesus come in the first place? Because here's a reality. Sometimes we get this idea that Jesus came and he lived this life. He's born, right? We celebrate Christmas and he's, he lives this life and he's born. And sometimes we get this idea that this just kind of surprised Jesus, right? Like it's like he just wakes up one day and now he's being arrested. Like, whoa, I didn't know this was happening, right? But that's not it at all. Jesus knew why he came and he knew this moment was coming. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 verse 23, The Bible says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now I want to point out three words. All have sin. To sin in its simplest force, in its simplest form is this. To do wrong. Right? Anybody in here? I know nobody can raise their hand to this question, so I'm going to go ahead and answer it. Anybody in here never sinned? Right? All have sinned. This is one of those things that most people, you don't even have to believe in Jesus, right? Or, or, or in Christianity. Most people, if not all people, have said, I have sinned. I have done wrong. There is sin in my life. Like, I can stand in front of you and say, Pastor Jeff has sinned. And you guys would say, Amen, right? You guys weren't supposed to do that, really. But, right? but all have sinned. This isn't a highly contested statement. The first part of that verse, for all have sinned, is not highly contested. But sin in its biblical definition is a little bit different. Sin is any personal lack of obedience to the moral character of God or the law of God. When we look to God's word and we see what God's word says, we see what Jesus says to that, and we don't do, say, or think as God commands, guess what? We have sinned against a holy God. When we don't do, say, Or think, as God commands, we have sinned against a holy God. We've rebelled against God. We don't really like to say that because it makes us sound like a bad person. But we've rebelled against God. Amen? We have. We've all rebelled against Him. We have all fallen short. And what we, and we we read here that all have, have sinned. And so, when I look at Romans chapter 3, I don't see, right, a list I need you guys to track with me this morning. I don't see a, a, a list here that begins to say, well, you sinned, right? She's going to throw something. Right. You sinned, but 
You know, your sin is worse, so therefore you haven't fallen short, but you have. Sometimes we can be really good about that in the church. Like, my sin is not as bad as yours, so therefore I'm good, right? We don't see God say that sin or this sin causes you to fall short, but this one doesn't. We see that all sin, each and every sin in our life and my life, has called us to fall short of the glory of God. We don't see a list begin to say, well, you've sinned, but it's not as bad as that person. Do we get that this morning? All sin, each and every little, tiny little sin, is sin against God. It's also important to see something that God's Word, I would challenge you on this one, to find this anywhere in God's Word. God's Word does not say that all have sinned, but your good outweighs your bad. You don't see that in the Bible. I know we chuckle about that, but most of us live our life that way. Are you with me this morning? It's a serious, serious moment. God's word does not say all have sinned, but your good outweighs your bad, so therefore you don't fall short of the glory of God. You're okay. We don't see that you're going to stand at the pearly gates and St. Peter or some other really rocking guy from the Bible is going to be standing up there and said, well, let's look at this little scale here. Like, well, Jay, you've done really good. Your good outweighs your bad. We don't see that. We see all have sinned, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all guilty of sin, and our, our sin causes us to miss the mark our sin causes us to have separation in our relationship with god but guess what even though we're guilty of sin that is why jesus came that's why jesus came our sin separated us from him our sin destroyed our relationship with him our sin keeps us from spending eternity with him our sin is not some little white lie or just a little slip up our sin is a big problem As little or big as it is, we find ourselves in a bad situation. Here's where we find ourselves, according to the Bible. Because all have sinned and rebelled, and yes, that means you and I, we've all rebelled and sinned against God. Therefore, we have forfeited the right to eternal life with God. That's what that means. That kind of stinks, doesn't it? Right? We forfeited the right to heaven and to a relationship with Him. God is a just God, he is perfect and holy. There's no sin found in him. And so God must punish wrongdoing. There must be a a, a punishment for that sin according to God because he is perfect cannot be overlooked. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Unrighteous is a Greek word that comes from the word adikos. Say that with me, adikos. Adikos, unrighteous. It's descriptive of one who violates justice, one who is unjust or sinful. I think we can all say we fit into the category of adikos without Jesus. Amen? And Jesus sees our predicament. He sees our situation. But here, here's the good news. Because of his love, the love Jesus has for you and me is so grand that he makes a way. We just spent a few minutes on a day of celebration to talk about our sin. And there's not one person in here that isn't sitting there going, yeah, I did this this morning. For me, it was yesterday. My boys, I mean, just like, come on, guys, you know, they're like wearing daddy out, right? But it was, it's, we've all have sin in our life. Great, it's Resurrection Sunday. Let's talk about the junk in my life. Way to go. I'm excited. All right, nobody's excited. All right. Where am I at? All right. No, really, where am I at? All right. This talk of sin is no way to beat up anybody this morning. 
It's to highlight the reality of our situation, where we are without Christ, and then to highlight the love Jesus has for us, to highlight that and what he's done for us. Here's the great thing. You think about that worst sin in your life, and Jesus, Jesus sees that. He knows we can't possibly fix our situation, our small sin, our big sin, whatever it may be, and he loves us. Many of us, when we were kiddos, we would sing that song, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. You guys are good. Yeah, A plus today, right? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? But somewhere along the line, somewhere as we get older and smarter, we forget that Jesus loves us. Don't we? We forget that Jesus loves us. We lose sight of that. Somewhere in our life we forget or we just set that aside, but it is vital that we know that regardless of what we've done in our life, big or small, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Regardless of what I am doing or what I have done, Jesus loves me. He doesn't always love what we do. Amen? Like he'll say, we see him in the Bible, he says, hey, man, I love you, but go and sin no more. They're still wrong. Jesus doesn't love those things, but he loves us. Right? He, he, he might not love what we do, but he loves us and he proves it. I want you guys to help me out this morning. I need a little participation. Right? We're going to say this this morning so we can believe it. I want you guys to say this with me. Jesus loves me. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus loves me. That was weak, church. This is Resurrection Sunday. Let's say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus loves me. Amen. Romans 5.8 tells us this, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've had a lot, we've had, we've had people throughout our life tell us, I love you. Maybe it's to get sex from you or to get something from you or just to kind of fill that role, but, you know, but their actions may not have proved their love for you. You're like, wait a minute, you just told me you love me. What are, what are you doing? You're not proving to me that you love me, but here's the great thing. It says that, that, that while we were still sinners, while there was still junk in my life, while there's still sin in your life, Jesus loves you. And he proves it. He died for us even knowing that, 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 that there was sin in our life. Jesus says in Mark 10.45 that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me tell you what that means. There was a price that was to be paid. Because of your sin and my sin. There's a price to be paid. And Jesus, because he loved us, he proved his love for us. He came, he, he, he came to give his own life as a ransom, as a payment, to pay what we needed to pay in our place. To give his life as a ransom for, that word for seems like so small, but in the Greek it means in place of. He came to give his life in place of many. He died in our place. It was our debt, church. It was our sin. And Jesus says, you know what? I see that, but I love you. I came for you to pay the price for you and the forgiveness of your sins. Isn't it amazing to know that we have a God that loves us and says, I have forgiveness for you? You're like, well, hey, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm thinking right now. You don't know what I did in my past. You don't know what I'm going to do in my future. Jesus says, I've got this forgiveness available for you. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, And he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross. Let me, let me help you out with that one. And he himself bore Jeff's sin, right? Or bore Jessica's sin. Or bore Jay's sin, right? I mean, he bore our sin on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we were healed. 
So this morning, as we celebrate Easter, you can confidently stand up here and say, Jesus loves me. Amen, church? And so when we read this, all that's happening to Jesus, this is why this is happening, because he came for you and for me, the betrayal, the trial, the suffering, his death. It didn't just kind of happen. It didn't catch Jesus by surprise, right? It didn't catch him by surprise. He knew it was going to happen. He knew what he had to walk through. But here's the crazy thing. He wanted to. That doesn't make sense to us, does it? I'm going to go through this for that person? The person that's sinning against me, I'm going to die for them? Jesus says I'm all in. He willingly goes through and makes his way to the cross to pay our penalty and to carry what you and I should be carrying because he loves you. And so Pilate stands there and he hears the crowd cry out, Crucify him! Just a week ago they're saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And now some other people, or maybe some of the same people, we don't know, but they're saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And he hands Jesus over first to be scourged and then to die. When it says that Jesus was scourged, it means that they beat him in the most gruesome manner. Give you an idea of what this was. They would strap him down, chain him down so he couldn't move, and they would use a whip, usually made of a of a leather strap. It had about nine or eleven straps on there, and it would be it would have on there bone and stone and metal on it. You can get the idea of why they had that on there. It's not going to treat the flesh very kindly, is it? It's intended to cause the most pain to rip that flesh. The Bible tells us that he was really unrecognizable after that. For me. Do you know what I've done, Jesus, and you're going to do that for me? And they mocked him as king of the Jews. And then after that suffering, Jesus had to carry his own cross, but he's carried, he's handed over to to crucify. Picking up in verse 27, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his, on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him, and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him, and they took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked garments, or after, after they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off of him and put on his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. Now, when we think of the cross, we think of a beautiful symbol, don't we? We really do. We've got a tattoo on it. We might have a cross. We might have earrings. You might have it on your t-shirt. And for a good reason. Because it reminds us of what Jesus did for us. And that's a good thing. Because Jesus used that cross to show his love for us. But let me tell you what it meant to those people that day. At that time, crucifixion was primarily reserved for the worst of criminals. Jesus was not just going to die a criminal's death. He's going to die the worst criminal's death. Without going into all the details of crucifixion, in a crucifixion, a person would be, they would, they would be nailed after carrying their cross. Remember, he's already been beat. He carries his cross. He's going to be nailed onto that cross, and it would be placed upright. And really, I know they always show pictures here, and that may have happened, but probably more likely to hold the weight. It was right here, and then they would put one in his legs. And then what they would do is they would put the cross up. And we always have this idea that the cross was way up on a hill. It's not. It wasn't. It was right down where people were walking by. Right down where people were walking by. 
And once they were nailed, once a person was nailed to the cross, death could come in hours or days, depending on the exact method or other factors. And the typical cause of death was known as asphyxiation. Did I say that right? Angel, help me out, right? Asphyxiation, right? I'm going to get it. It's a loss of a loss of air, guys. Like he suffocated, loss of oxygen. All right, I'm gonna get through this, man. Roman Roman executioners could also break the victim leg in order to speed up their death because they're no longer to support themselves, right? And they they would they would die within a few minutes. Death could come not just from that; it could come from a loss of blood, dehydration, exhaustion, many different things. All of that to say, the cross was viewed by the Romans and people of that time to be used on the worst of worst. It was the most cruel and disgusting punishment, and it was a humiliating way to die. But I want to reiterate something this morning, because we need to get this. You might be hearing this for the first time, or maybe this is just a fresh way for you to hear it, or maybe you need to be reminded of this this morning. Sometimes we just approach Easter and like, all right, church, it's time to go to church, right? Come on, honey, let's get dressed up and let's go, and we're going to hear about the risen Savior. And we miss really what happens. Wherever you are in life today, know this. This was all done because Jesus loves you. He loves you. Before Jesus dies on the cross, Matthew, or excuse me, John 19.30, that account records something very important for us to understand. Jesus, as he's up there on the cross, the Bible says that he, that he cries out, it is finished. And then it says, and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The word Jesus used in the Greek was really one word, tetelesta. It is finished, finally completed. The reason he came was to be a ransom for many, for you, to seek you and to save us from our sins, to be our Savior. He came to provide an atonement, a sacrifice for us. He came to pay the debt for my sin and for your sin. He came to be your Lord and Savior. But yet, sometimes we treat him as the big guy in the sky. And when Jesus cried that out, te telesta, It is finished. Our debt, what we owed for our sin, was paid in full once and for all. His death was enough to cover all of our sins, past, present, and future. If, don't miss this, don't miss this, if we believe in Him. If we believe in Him. John 3.16, one of the most popular verses, most recognized verses, says this, For God so loved, sometimes we miss that word, so He didn't just kind of love you or just kind of really love you. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's big because we have a God that did, right? He he did what he said he was going to do. And what we need to do is believe in who Jesus is. We need to believe in what Jesus did. Trust in who Jesus is. We trust in Him as our Savior. We turn from our sins and turn to Jesus. The Bible uses a really nasty word called repent. I know, it's a really bad one. All it does means is turn away from what you've been doing, turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus. Does that mean we're never going to sin again? I'm, I'm evidence that that's not true. But we turn away from ourselves, we turn away from sex and drugs and, 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 and our jobs and whatever it is that we're chasing and we, and we chase, we turn to Jesus and we give our life to Jesus. I think first it's important for us to know, we're going to talk a little bit more about believing in Jesus in just a minute, but I think it's important for us to note the verse, he says, Tetelesta, it's finished, and then it says this, listen how big our God is, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Here's what that means. 
when he accomplished what he came to do. Let's just call it what it is. When he kicked Satan's butt. When he kicked death's butt. When he kicked uh, sin's butt. When he accomplished what he came to do, no one took his life from him. If he wanted to, he could have had a multitude of angels come down and take care of business. Amen? Right? He could have handled things himself. He's kind of a big God. Amen, church? But because he loves you and me, he willingly and voluntarily gave up his life. That's really important that we hear that. That he gave his life. In John chapter 10, there's a, there's a passage. I think it's up here. If not, I'm going to read it. It says, for this reason, the Father loves me. Listen to, listen to what he says. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Read it. Listen, listen. This is good stuff. No one has taken it away from me. Not the Roman soldiers, not the religious leaders, not you or me. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. And I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This is what we're celebrating today. This commandment I received from the Father. Here's why. Here's what is great about this. When we think about death, we think about death, we die because we have to. Right? We die because we have to. Someone used to say to me growing up, I would say, hey, man, you got to do this. You, you have to do this. And they would say to me, you guys are going to be able to finish this one, I, I think. I don't have to do anything except pay my taxes and die. I don't have to do anything except pay my taxes and die. We all die because that's what happens. Because sin entered the world. That's what happens. Jesus died, check this out, because he chose to. Jesus died because he, because he loves you. Not just loves you, but he so loves you. Matthew chapter 27. We're going to look at the narrative of the burying in verse 57. So if you've got your Bibles back there in verse 57 or it's up on the screen. There's just something about having God's word in our hand. Isn't that amazing? When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. So this was a wealthy man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, but he was not part of those religious leaders that delivered Jesus to, to Pilate. He had become, the Bible tells us, a follower of Jesus. We'll talk about what that means to be a follower of Jesus. Look what he does. This man went to, to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen uh, cloth. So they're preparing customary they're preparing his body in, in verse 60 and laid it uh, in his own new tomb so this rich man had had a tomb that they were placing jesus in which he had honed out of the rock and he had rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away verse 61 and mary magdalene was there and the other mary sitting opposite the grave so we have this these men that that are placing jesus's body in the grave and the ladies were all there they're all witnesses to his to his to his death and then his and then his burial Mark 15, the Bible tells us that before Jesus was taken off the cross, the soldiers had been ordered to break the legs of those who were on the cross to hurry along their death. But Jesus was already dead, the Bible tells us in Mark. But these soldiers that were trained at killing, they confirmed that Jesus was dead. And when Pilate had heard that Jesus was already dead, he wanted to make sure, so he sent out orders again to inspect and ensure that Jesus was in fact dead. Here's the reality. These weren't like mall cops, right? These were the, these were the real deal. They knew what they were doing. I'm not hating on mall cops. I'm just saying these guys knew what they were doing. They knew when somebody was dead. Matthew 27, 62 uh, continues on. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver, they're talking about Jesus, said, After three days I am to rise again. 
Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until that third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead. Right? And the last deception would be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You you have a guard. I'm going to give you some guards. Make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. The religious leaders, they heard Jesus. And they remembered Jesus saying that after he died, he was going to raise again. And so they set the tomb, the guards up at the tomb to make sure that his body was remained there. Again, these guys were trained. They weren't like, they weren't like, you know, like part-time security guys. These guys knew what they were doing and they sealed it. So here's what we have. We have his arrest. We have his false trial. We have his beating. We have his suffering. He carries the cross. He's crucified. We have Jesus. He's, he's, he's on the cross and then he dies on the cross and then he's buried. Here's a couple things. I wish we had more time to talk about this, but every single detail to this point has been just as Jesus said it would happen. Not just as Jesus said it would happen, which would be enough for me, but also that others that had prophesied in the Old Testament, every single little detail, every, pro- every prophecy that was laid out about Jesus, what happened exactly how they said it was happened. His mission, his step, all happened the way it was supposed to. And then... Because it's Easter, we come to chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to draw toward, or to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. When you look at the account in Luke, we see they were coming, they're bringing spices. They're going to tend to the, to the body and to the tomb. They were, they were expecting, I need you to hear this this morning, they were expecting to find Jesus still dead in the tomb on the third day. But check this out. These verses should get us a little bit pumped up, right? And and behold, verse 2, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came out and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance, the angel was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. What a cool but scary, like, you know, situation, this experience. It says the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And these two ladies came to the tomb expecting to find Jesus and tend to his body. And they get the shock of a lifetime. All of this happened. And the, the guards just kind of like, anybody else see that like these guards, like big old tough men. You got these two ladies and they're the dudes that pass out. Anybody? anybody? All right. But I mean, just, just think about that. Verse 5. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Can we just state the obvious real quick? The angel says, do not be afraid. Are you kidding me? Right? Are you kidding me? But I want to point out something here. These ladies are coming to tend to the dead. It's the third day. The religious leaders remembered what Jesus said, but they weren't really expecting a resurrection. In John, we read that after the ladies were in the tomb, Peter and John also visited the tomb. John peeked in, the Bible said, and Peter went in, and they found his linen just just lying there, and the cloth that had been around Jesus' head was folded and put off to the, the side. And John 20, verse 9 says, they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Maybe they forgot, maybe they didn't completely understand, but Jesus had told them all along, maybe they were just scared and it slipped their mind, I don't know, but, but he says, I'm going to suffer and die, and then guess what, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Jesus kept his word. 
I like this in Mark, the, the book of Mark, Mark 8, 9, and 10. Are you guys ready? We're going to walk through real quick that. The whole thing. No, I'm just kidding. Jesus explains in Mark 8, 31 that he must suffer. Just listen to these words. He must suffer things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Mark 9.31, Jesus again explained, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill me, and after three days, I will rise again, right? Mark chapter 10, verse 33 through 34. We've got this one up here, I think. All right. Jesus tells them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. That's happened. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. That's happened. Who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Did that happen? Amen. Three days later, he will rise. But yet when Jesus is betrayed, they try to stop it. When Jesus was condemned and beaten, they couldn't believe it. And when he died, they were lost. So it makes sense that they weren't expecting him to rise again. But here's the thing that we can learn from this. Jesus loves us and we can trust him. Amen. We can trust the word of God, we can trust what Jesus says. Track with me here this morning. In verse 5 through 6, we read this. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. Here we go. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. You saw him die. You saw him be beaten. You saw him like go through all those trials. But it says you've been looking, you're here looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Verse 6, he is not here. For he is what, church? For he is Risen, just as he said, come see the place where he is laying. The one you are looking for is not here. Why? Because he is risen. He has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He has defeated the grave. He is risen, just as he said. His his resurrection for us, church, is huge for us. It means that we have a Savior that is no longer in the grave, but is alive. He is active and still loves us. There are plenty of men or women that have claimed to be God, and they are dead in their grave. But Jesus is God, and He rose from the grave. And He still loves you. His victory over death is our victory over death. Because while we are certain to leave this world, Jesus promised an eternity with Him. In eternity with those that have given their life to Jesus, those that have said yes to Jesus and were saved, we have hope in Jesus and the life that only He offers. Let me, let me lay this out for you. I have walked into hospital rooms and loved on people of our church or, or when I was in Kansas City, that church, and knowing that a person is about to die. But you can see this twinkle in their eye because they say, I know they know Jesus. I've also seen people that have knew that their family didn't know Jesus. We have the hope that even though our life here ends, we're going to spend eternity with the one that made us and saved us if we trust him as our Lord and Savior, church. If we trust in Jesus. In our messed up world, it is good to know that there is really something to have hope in. You can't turn. I was watch, I was reading something on Twitter the other day. A pastor friend of mine said, it's a sad day when I have to make sure that news doesn't get turned on in my house. Our world is jacked up. But we have a Jesus that loves us and died for us, but he rose again and so that we can be with him for eternity. We can trust 
Jesus. We can trust the Word of God. We at Authentic Life Church, I'm going to lay it out for you, we believe wholeheartedly 150 million percent in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that the Bible is 100% true and we are unapologetic about preaching that. Amen, church? He died to save us from our mistakes, from our falling short, from our sins. Here's this. His words were truth. Scripture was fulfilled. His mission to love us and die in our place was taken. It, it, It happened. And he now has victory over sin and death. Jesus is risen just as he promised. Jesus came to be our Lord and our Savior. But yet, sometimes we treat him as some guy, hey, you're the big guy in the sky, I just don't want to tick you off. Right? Sometimes we just go to him whenever something's not going good in our life. But he says, I came to be your Lord. And I came to be your Savior. Stop with this mamsy-pamsy junk. Only follow me when you want to. Follow me every day because I deserve it. He came to be Lord and Savior. He came to prove his love for you. He died in your place. He paid your penalty and mine. He made a way for you and me to have eternal life. He made it possible to have a relationship with God that we severed. He came to take take the chains and the burdens from your sin and offer you forgiveness. You ever have the weight of sin just on you? Like that guilt that just like lives inside of you because of what you've done? Jesus says, I got it. I got it. Give it to me. Here's forgiveness. He did all the work. We just need to call him Lord. By the way, the Bible says that every day, or one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord whether we call him that or not. Amen, church? Let's let's be true about that. Let's get that right right now. But are we going to recognize him as Lord? Are we going to call him Lord? Are we going to say, Jesus, you've seen the mess in my life. You've seen the sin in my life, right? I'm going to ask for your forgiveness. I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to turn away. I'm still going to mess up, but I know that you love me, right? I'm going to, I'm going to repent. I'm going to give that to you, Jesus. Are we going to follow Jesus? I just want to lay this out for you. I can't think of a better day in all the year to give your life to Jesus. To say yes to Jesus. To say yes to following Jesus. Think about it. Today is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of his, from His death that He suffered for you and for me. The day that He made eternal life possible. Right? Romans 6.23 says this. We've got to get this. For the wages of sin is death. We know what wages is? It's what we deserve. It's what we've earned. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus made a way. And now we don't serve a God that's still in the grave. We serve a God that is a risen Savior, a Savior that died for us, that loves us, that wants a real relationship with us. Here's the reality, church. Guests, the name of Jesus, who He is, demands a response. demands a response. Do you know Jesus personally? Here's a reality. Here's a a shocker for us. Satan believes in Jesus. But Satan doesn't call him Lord. He will. Satan knows who Jesus is, but he's not his Savior. Do you know Jesus personally? 
would you like to know Jesus personally? I'm not asking if, if you're religious. I'm not asking if, if you have Caleb, you know, radio on the back of your car. I'm not asking if you've gone to Facebook and Twitter and posted, hey, I'm a Christian, we're all good, right? I'm asking, is Jesus your Savior? Because He came, He died and suffered and rose for you. Will you say yes to Jesus today because his forgiveness is available? It's been paid. You just have to say, Jesus, I trust in you. I know who you are. I love you. Here's my sin. I want to turn to you and make you Lord of my life. Will you say yes to Jesus and his forgiveness? Here's a reality. Jesus says in John chapter 14, this is going to shock our world. You guys ready to rock your faces off? Here we go. Jesus told them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, comes to the Father except through me. In a world that says there are many ways to heaven, there are many ways to whatever your spiritual high is, Jesus says that's a bold-faced lie from hell. He says, I'm the way. There's not a million ways. It's not good outweighing your bad. It's not whatever you decide to do. Jesus says, I'm it. In a world that says, what truth? There's no absolute truth. It depends on who you are. Jesus says, bull, there's absolute truth and I'm it. Right? In a world where we try to fulfill our life with sex, money, jobs, whatever it is, Jesus says, I'm what you need. I'm the life you're seeking. I offer you eternal life. How do we do this? How do we give our life to Jesus? How do we receive forgiveness from our sins? How does Jesus become Lord and Savior? There's a great passage from Romans chapter 10, and it says this, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today that we pray, we have been praying all week. I'm a little excited today if you guys can't tell. Man, this is the greatest message ever. We have been praying that you, if you don't know Jesus today, would stop with that and stop, stop denying him and call on the name of the Lord and believe in him and be saved. Is today the day for you? To say, you know, you know what, I can't do this on my own. I've tried, I need to trust Jesus. I'm not really good at being in charge of my eternity. I'm going to receive his love that he has for me. I'm going to give my life to him. When I'm on death's door, I don't want to have fear, not knowing where I'm going to spend eternity. I don't want to have any doubt. I want to be in heaven with my creator. You might say today, I need Jesus. You might be sitting here today, you say, you know what? I already know Christ. I gave my life to Christ a long time ago. I remember when I was six years old, I sat there with a man named Mr. Carroll, and we sat there and we talked, and he made sure that I understand who Jesus was and and what Jesus did for me and what I was doing, and I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me that day. If that's you today, let this Sunday, this Easter, this word from the Lord put a spark in your life and a reminder that Jesus is with you and that he loves you. This world is tough, man. It's a good reminder to know that Jesus loves us. Let's love like Jesus. Just for, this for, for our people, real quick. If you've been walking through our series with us, love like Jesus. If we want to love like Jesus, we're going to tell others about his love for them. In closing, four things. If you want to use on your back of your notes or if you've already filled up, just remember this. What is Easter really about? We tend to focus on bunnies, candy, and lunch, don't we? But what is Easter really about? Easter is about who Jesus is. He's God. The Bible calls it, he's Emmanuel. Emmanuel, a name for Jesus, God with us. The one that was perfect, the one that loved you and the only one able to save you. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Easter is also about what you did. 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the great reality. You did that, but God demonstrates his love for us in, time, in that while we were still sinners, yet sinners, Christ died for us. Easter is about what you did. It's about who Jesus is and what you did. Easter is about what God did. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's God's love. He made salvation and forgiveness possible when there was no other way. God made the way. And Easter is about the greatest love ever. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. My question for you this morning is this. Will you receive his love today? You might say, man, I believe in Jesus, but I haven't given my life to Jesus. I know who Jesus is. I, I would consider myself a Christian. But does Jesus say you're part of my family? Has he actually forgiven you? Have you made him Lord of your life? Will you make him Lord over your life today? Will you turn away from your own way and your sin and you trying, even if you're doing a lot of good things? Nowhere in Scripture does it say your good outweighs your bad. Are we going to turn away from us and give it all to Jesus? Are you going to say, Lord, save me today? Will you follow Jesus and I hope that this morning we're all reminded of the amazing reality that Jesus loves you. That Jesus loves you. Like, we, you've heard this message a million times. Every year you hear something about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But He loves you. Amen? Regardless of what's in you. I'm messed up. Right? Y'all are messed up. But Jesus loves you. Guys, I want to, just real quick, I'm going to pray, but before I do, I just want to, I'm going to give you, I want to give an opportunity. When we hear the name of Jesus and we talk about Jesus resurrecting from the dead, he died for our sins, but he rose again, Jesus says, you have a decision to make. No ifs, ands, or buts, you have a decision to make. Will you reject me or will you trust me and let me save you? You have a decision to make. If you already know Jesus, we have a responsibility to share that love with one another. Amen? Nowhere in God's word does it say religion is a private thing. We got that lie from our media or something. I don't give a rip. We got it from somebody. It's, it's, we share that. We share the love of Jesus. This is good stuff today. Amen? This is good stuff, man. Yay, Jesus. Go stuff. Go, go. I mean, it's good, man. But here's the reality. You have to decide. If you don't know Jesus today, will you reject him? Or will you call him Lord? And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that.